Ever wonder what it is that's holding you back, keeping you from getting to the next level? Everything starts within your own mind. Your thoughts, attitude, and determination are all essential for success. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Main Idea Podcast. Diving deep to uncover how determination and mindset steamroll adversity. And now your host, creator of the Ski System and Trainer of the Year nominee, Abe Maynard. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Main Idea Podcast. Today, I sit down with Eddie Ift, stand-up comedian, producer, writer, director, host of the Wadcast podcast. This guy does it all, and he's absolutely hilarious. Eddie has traveled the entire world to sold-out crowds in over 15 countries. His DVD, Live from Australia, was filmed in front of a sold-out audience at the Sydney Opera House. Eddie has been seen on Comedy Central, The Joe Rogan Experience, Last Comic Standing, Chelsea Lately, and Showtime. He's a vet in the industry, and he was a pleasure to have on the podcast. I'm just going to cut it right there, let you guys get into it. Listen to this guy's story. He works harder than anyone I know. Without further ado, the ever-talented and powerful Eddie Ift. I was almost late for you, I hope you know, because I was walking around my house in a wife beater and I realized last minute, not the most acceptable thing to show up to a podcast with someone you know. Yeah, I I would have never let you hear the end of it either. But then the podcast started and you had a half naked man behind you superimposed. So I feel like maybe I should have worn the wife beater. Yeah, well, that was that was not a that was. That was just my buddy. He was just over and, uh, you know, we were busy. When did you know you're funny? Uh, I still don't think I am a lot. Objectively, you are. I've, I've done uh, quite a bit of research at this point and definitively you're funny. I think uh, I pretty much tell people that comedy is not a talent. It's more of a disability. <laughs> and, that makes sense. Uh, and I was a complete failure my whole life. Uh, from like uh, birth until about, I don't know. I still haven't succeeded, but I mean, I like, <laughs> was a true failure. And the only thing that I was good at was getting negative attention as a child. So I kind of went with it. Negative attention, meaning like you would do something bad so that they would pay attention to you kind of thing. Yeah. And usually it was funny. Right. And so I kind of thrived on that attention and then I just kind of went with it. I dug in at a certain point, you know, right. I was like, I was like, you know what, this, nothing else seems to be working. I might as well lean into this. Right. And, uh, at a, I don't know. I had like teachers and stuff say, you know, as much as they hated me, they couldn't admit, I mean, they still would admit that I was funny. But you weren't like a shithead, or you were? I, was, uh, I wasn't malicious. I wasn't, uh, I just couldn't pay attention or be, you know, do what they wanted. So I was just like, we're doing what I want to do. And uh, I could derail a whole class. <laughs> I mean, for, for 45 minutes, I could take it my way. And uh, 
I had a teacher say one time, she's like, Eddie, I love you. And this is ninth grade English class. She's like, when you're on the tonight show, sometimes she's like, please say hi to me. But for now, just shut up. And, uh, she was at one of my shows once. And I told her, I said, uh, you know, I never made it to the tonight show. Cause I just never have done that show. I've done a lot of other shows, but I was like, I always wanted to say hi to you, Mrs. Mather and be like, Hey, look, look at me. I'm on TV. You know, like you, it, it, it was one of those moments that you kind of remembered in the back of your head that when she said it, I was like, what's she mean? Like, I'm going to be on TV someday. And, um, she, uh, but I didn't know you could pursue it. I didn't know it was like, if I had known that day when she said that, I would have like been like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. You guys all work on like math and science. But <laughs> I'm going to be on the Tonight Show. But I, I mean, I, at I, that point, were you like, comedy wasn't even in your universe, right? No. Like that was not even a thing that you knew at that age that people even do for an actual living to like make people laugh and get paid for it. Sound must have sounded just insane. Now I have one of those dads that I don't know if, I, if it was my generation, but his plan was for me to do everything exactly that he did. Like exactly. What does he do? For he work? was like, he was like, you're going to go to my high school. You're going to go to my college. You're going to join my fraternity. You know, you're going to play my sports and then you're going to go into my business. And I was like, and you oh. were like, yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to do any of those. <laughs> I love you, dad, but um, we're, you just forced me to go the other way. So, uh, uh, he, my dad it sells insurance and, uh, he does very well. He's very successful. And, uh, I tried it for like, it's actually longer than I say. I tried it on and off for like two years. Like selling life insurance. Yeah. And I was or, terrible. Yeah. Dude, I, I had this, I got hit by this family. It was kind of like in our circle of people we knew. And it was like, I kind of got the one, two from like network marketing and then life insurance sales. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I can totally do that. I'm going to be a, you know, a millionaire by the time I'm 16. Mm -hmm. And I That's did the whole one. like series, whatever license series, I studied. Series, series six, life accident health. Yep. And I got it. And then I was like, oh my God, this is all just smoke and mirrors. I don't want to do this. I hate this. I yeah. hate it. I hated it more than anything in the world. I was so depressed that that was going to be the rest of my life. I was like, I remember driving, you know, my dad like took care of me. Like he, he bought me a car, you know, bought me suits. He's like, you're ready to go. You know, I was living at home. So I didn't really need money because he had me commission based. And I remember driving down the road, like the same road I've driven every day because I grew up there and I was on my way to, uh, if my dad hears this podcast, he's going to like want to kill himself. Um, but I'm driving down the road to uh, my dad's office and I seriously thought, and I'm not a suicidal person, but I was like, if I have to do this for the rest of my life, I'm just going to like pull into opposing traffic or something. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like drive off a bridge because this is just not for me. And I know it is for many people and my dad loves what he does and he's very successful at what he does, but it just, it just wasn't for me at all. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I would imagine, you know, being a comedian and, and running your, you do your own life, you create your own life, whatever if you want to go to Reno and do a show, you go to Reno and do a show. There's no one's saying, Hey, Eddie, you know, make sure you're here at six o'clock in the morning and wear 50 pieces of flair. Like, I think when you're cut from that cloth, it's just different, right? Like you're going to be 
before you know what it is you're going to do that's pulling you in that direction somehow has to yeah. be yeah um i uh i remember back then this is kind of like therapy for me i remember i'm licensed i'm uh, not i'm not licensed <laughs> <laughs> I have some like weird tickle in my chest right now, but please don't be COVID. Um, I remember driving or not driving. I remember sitting at home and constantly thinking of alternatives to doing that, to doing what my dad had me doing. Oh, I thought, my God, I, would, I thought you meant alternatives to driving your car. I was like, I guess uh, there's a lot of options. Yeah. But this is dark. No, I, I know. I know how I'd kill myself, but um, I'd, I'd break world record. Uh, it's like, so <laughs> which one, I mean, just like jumping off, like face jumping off. Oh, the like the highest. Okay. Yeah. Something that people go, Oh, so like, if you fail, Oh, you like Eddie, if did like that. Well, no, like if you fail the suicide attempt, they're like, Oh my God, he just broke the world record and blah, blah, blah. And I see go. like a fail safe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're not go, committing to it. Well, yeah. It's like, so if I fail, then I broke a, and I a world have, record. I might have something to live for then. That's fair. He's the guy that, you know, um, so anyway, uh, I used to sit and write down business plans of things I wanted to do. And I just had like notebooks full of shit and it was inventions. It was, uh, I, I mean, lists and lists of stuff that I could possibly do. And I started researching the eco challenge, uh, that came out right when I graduated college, what's the eco challenge? That was that race that Robert Ed, who created Survivor, had, and he's like, oh yeah, recently it's like the hardest adventure race in the world. They go 300 miles across the desert and uh, de uh, all kinds of different terrain, mountains, uh, and they they raft, ride horseback, run. You know, it was based on a thing called the Raid Guaz, where they helicopter or they parachute in. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at it and I'm like, well, I don't horseback ride. I don't rock climb. I don't, you know, but I'll try, you know, like I'll do this. I'll go into adventure racing. And I actually called them to see how I could go about doing it. And I, I talked to uh, Rob Burnett, who's now like a multi-billionaire. Yeah. He, he called me back and he's like, well, you need $60,000. And so you had to pay to be in the race. Yeah. And you need a sponsorship. You need a car. You need this gear and blah 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 so he was like go out and get teams to sponsor you and i was like yeah this sounds like a lot of work i just wanted to like get on a bike <laughs> but uh, i had talked to a friend for a little bit uh about doing it and uh it's funny since because i've been uh i've done some crazy stuff sort of like that and uh rob burnett lives near me and i ran into him one time in uh in a smoothie shop and I was like, Hey, and we have mutual friends and that Unlife. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly where I was. And I, I said, Hey, Rob, yeah, that's where they all are. You want to see yeah. celebrity? <laughs> go to Sun Life. Yeah. It's like yeah. the Malibu version of that restaurant that everyone goes to by a uh, channel. That's stupid. It's been there forever. Gar Garibaldi's or. Oh know. yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. Bu I'm butchering it now. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, I, I was one time standing in Sun Life and uh what's his name? anthony kiedis and ed norton walked in together like holding hands yeah pretty much yeah. <laughs> and i'm i'm in front of them in line and they're behind me and i turn around to like look like who's behind me and i double take and it's so obvious that i turn around and i look at them and i go don't act like this is normal 
<laughs> what do they say? And they both they both giggled because they knew, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's two like superstars from two different worlds. Yeah, totally. Together. And I was just like, so then I get my smoothie and I go back and all of a sudden Sal Masakella walks in from uh, ESPN and Sal's a buddy of mine. He's he I think I've actually seen him in the water a couple times because he's friends with some of my uh, friends down here. But he grew up in Encinitas. Yeah. So. Ripping surfer. Active, yeah, great surfer. Outdoor everything. Action sports guy. So I see Sal and he's a CrossFitter. So I know I'm from CrossFit and uh, he hooked me up and got me kind of connected me to the surfing world. And uh, I see Sal and I go, Sal, you're never going to believe who I just saw in here. He goes, uh, he goes, oh, yeah, who? And I go, uh, Ed Norton and blah, blah, blah. And like, as we say it, David Duchovny walks in <laughs> and he goes, look at that. And I go, oh, my God, I go, I've always wanted that guy on my podcast. I go, should I ask him? He goes, don't do it. <laughs> and I go, oh, man, I'd love to have him. He goes, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I was like, yeah, I know. And he goes, I saw him outside. He goes, I saw David Duchovny outside. He goes, Owen Wilson and him walked past each other. <laughs> he goes, and they didn't even say hi. He goes, they just ignored each other. And I was like, that's weird. Like, aren't you like when you're that famous in a, like a, it's like a team, like a club, right? Yeah. And he goes, they just completely ghosted each other as they walked <laughs> by. And I just thought, what a weird day of all. Totally. Yeah. And it's not like that commonly. I mean, and inside of, I'm sure Edward Norton and Anthony Kiedis were like, is that Eddie Ick and Selma Sakela outside oh, right now? Yeah. <laughs> I had that happen with a friend of mine. That's really famous. Um, you got grouped in with their fame? No, no, no. Oh, oh, no, not, not even close. Um, I always am like, I'll be with like a famous comedian and someone will come up and be like, oh my God, you're blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, and it's, it's, you, you're, are you somebody, you, I think that's what I am. I'm, I think you might, are, are you? And that's what uh, you write on your name tag at events. Yeah. One time I'm so I'm with a friend and we go to a concert. He's a famous, famous musician. And we go to a concert of a uh, comedic, uh, the Flight of the Concord. Yeah. And uh, so we're at their concert and he was friends with them. They gave him tickets and we walk in and someone comes running up to us. And I, my, my friend is super famous. And uh, they go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. Can I get your photo? And I go, here, I'll take it for you. <laughs> and I go to take their phone and they're like, no, I want my photo with you. And they hand the phone to him. Oh, wow. And I just double over laughing. <sighs> and I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is like the greatest thing that's ever happened. And he's laughing too. <laughs> it's probably a relief for him. Yeah. Yeah. It totally was. He's that he's super humble and, 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 uh, and it was just really funny. And I was like, and I told him afterwards, I'm like, that never happens ever. It was like, I paid the person to do it. But you take it, hey, take it when it comes, right? Yeah, yeah. So was, wait, so, cause I wanna hear where the, the end of the story goes. So you, before you saw Anthony Kiedis and Edward Norton and I derailed us on the sunlight yeah, topic, yeah. you were getting a smoothie. Yeah, uh, I forget why was I getting <sighs> I totally forget why you're getting a smoothie. I forget what I was getting as you're selling insurance and you live next to the guy that started the adventure race. Oh, and I ran into yeah. Mark Burnett. I there told him, Mark Burnett. I told him that I wanted to run the race and I didn't bring up that, you know, I called him, you know, 25 years ago or whatever. And, and asked him, you know, like in the beginning when he was a nothing, but I, 
he kind of like really shrugged me off like no way and i told him my buddy is a guy i hang out with that's on my podcast all the time hunter mcintyre mm -hmm. is probably the top obstacle course racer in the world and um he's like eight time world champion and i was like hunter and i want to do this we just ran this 68 mile race together blah 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 and he's like yeah no and he knows hunter i was like wait he just said no you guys can't do it he kind of was i thought he'd be like yeah you know entertain the thought no there was no he was not interested at all was he so like I, a dick about it or uh well so i i apparently hunter has some kind of history with him also so oh um he's like oh i know hunter hunter's a character so and everybody in Malibu knows Hunter. So, um, but he's like literally one of the most elite athletes in the whole world. I mean, I argue some, I have a huge argument with people, especially CrossFitters that he might be the fittest man in the world. Across all disciplines. He, I mean, he went to the CrossFit games. He talked his way into it a few years ago. And uh, they said, if somebody thinks they can come in here from another discipline and beat our guys, go right ahead. And, uh, so he trained for it. He talked them into like letting them compete. And, um, you know, they brought in like the first day of the CrossFit games, they were like, <laughs> I think 80 people and they were going to knock it down to 40 the next day. He made the cut for the next day. Yeah. And then they were going to take it down to like 20 and he messed up an event out of like a skill that and a lot of like not gaming from experience right not that he wasn't fit and so he got knocked out but like if the next the next event was like this running event where he would have smashed everybody right so he would have got like he would have kept getting narrowed down that uh, there were some guys that did like some mathematical analysis and figured out like from his times and everything that he would have been about 23rd so in the CrossFit games, he would have finished 23rd for a guy who didn't just play. walk on. Right. Yeah. And so I said, what would those guys do if they went into his sport? There's no way they would have been top hundred. But I feel like that's a tough argument. I think about this a lot too, because you could say that for most sports, if I don't know Hunter or his skill set, but if you took him and you put him on the field with the Eagles, and you had him run the ball up the middle, it's probably going to get his ass kicked. Sure. Right. Pummel. Sure. If you put him in octagon, he's going to get choked out. He, he might be athletic and capable, but I think if it's a skill, if skill similar to their skills in CrossFit, right? He would have, if it was the other one, but it wasn't, it was one that required a different skill that he didn't have. So it's this, tough to come up with the, this, the best this, athlete of all this, time. This is an argument I have all of the time. So the argument is, are you the fittest person in the world? Are you the most athletic person in the world? Are you the most trained person in the world? Because take something like the decathlete. That, that isn't the most athletic. That is someone who learned the skill set of right. javelin, shot put, hurdles, running. You know, okay. Right. Take someone that uh, CrossFit. All CrossFit is, is a definition of fitness by the owner of CrossFit. For sure. So, uh, Dave Castro, the programs, the CrossFit games chooses the events that are in it and they pretty much have a template of what it's going to be. And then they practice. So Hunter got knocked out doing handstand walks and because his handstand walking skill wasn't there, not that he didn't have the fitness for the handstand walk, his skill level of it was not there. Um, but also he, he didn't strategize it properly because it was like, right. 
it's a long story, but he had to do rows going into it and he blew up in the, he went too fast in the rows and then blew yeah, up so there. where all the other no guys, stability. Yeah. Where all the other guys knew yeah. take it really slow in the, and then, cause it's going to catch up to you in the walk. So that came from experience. Um, what I argue with the CrossFit games people is that they should let the people train using the template of CrossFit. But when they get to the CrossFit games every once in a while, or not every once in a while, Every games, there's probably about one or two events that they talk about the 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 something and the unknowing. The I forget what they call it, but it they throw them at an event that it's nothing that they've ever really trained right. for. They'll be like, "Hey, you're going to take this wheelbarrow full of sandbags, push it down this field, throw the sandbags over this fence, climb up the fence, carry the sandbags up the hill." You can't train for that. You know, like you you can't have sandbag throwing skills not knowing the size of the sandbag wheelbarrow you know like yeah but the prerequisite there is strength across multiple planes of motion which is it's always going to favor olympic lifters well so if it's moving a fixed object right but if there's but and then if you're coming back and you're running across a field you know where you you know right that way you can throw into it where it's fitness is that event I don't know enough about how things round out at the end of the games, but that events usually, I know they have a random event. It's usually at the end, right? No, it's, it's so random. So it's not like an X factor. It's not like everyone's here. And then now that we're here, you got to do this event. And that kind of spits out the winner. No, but I would like, I would would be kind of cool. I would think that every single event should be like that because at that point, these guys can't just specify and, and be specialized at, you know, whatever it is. And they are, and they become like, I was just talking to the guy that finished seventh at the road games yesterday. And he was talking about, you know, he swims two days a week now because he didn't know how to swim when he went to the CrossFit games and Right, swimming. They always have a swimming event. So it's like, okay, learn to swim. We'll make them swim with a weight vest on, make them, right. you know, like, <laughs> like make them swim on uh, or carry an object across water that they've never right. you know run run around a football field or a track with a with a refrigerator that they don't know how to carry i think they to- they need to make an event someone needs to make an event that is like a year-long event of sport and it has like an Xterra race in there a tough mudder race in there a crossfit event in there a couple rounds of grappling like Put it all into a one year long thing and see who can stay healthy. One, I'll, I will tell and you, and then about, who can complete it. I will tell you about a television pitch off air because I don't want anyone stealing it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've pitched it a bunch of times and we've gotten to like really good places with it and then it's died. Um, but it's like a multi, you know, it, it'd be like American Idol if I could get it to go. But we've, um, I just, it's the kind of thing like the television shows I pitch all the time. Cause I go on meetings like this every week and uh, I pitch TV shows that are like, Hey, we write a script and you make the show. This right. is like, we build a giant show and, and, and I don't have the capabilities to build it. So I'd have to always, they make you attach with producers. I'd have to attach with some giant producers with like a monstrosity of a show that is like, 
a mega show that we'd have to pitch to the networks. Um, like so, Wipeout meets American Gladiator meets CrossFit yeah, Games. Yeah, it's it's that kind of level of, um, and so having no history, it's a hard one to to pitch. I mean, it's almost like I I just give my idea to the production company, they go pitch it and. Right. Um, have you seen those races they're so gnarly i heard about them first on barbell shrugged i don't know if you ever used to listen to that podcast yeah, back yeah, in the day, but they profiled these they're like these gnarly multi-day adventure races they do them in like virginia and these guys are they're running for like 48 hours straight and they have all these obstacles and they're they're like self-sufficient while they're doing the race and i think it's like 15 people do it a year and like four finish and it's disgusting. They all get foot rot and they get like, they're just go- running through the dark like this with the headlamp on. And like, I, I'm, I'm pretty die. much familiar with all of them because uh, I don't know. I, I get bored of having guests, CrossFit guests on the show. So I like that. And I like those people. I don't want to do that. Hunter's yeah, girlfriend. I mean, it sounds miserable. Hunter's girlfriend just won the toughest mutter which was a 24 hour race of a five mile loop. Uh, with, with, That's horrible. You with, know, what's coming. Well, yeah. Five Every mile time. Loop, how many laps you can do of this loop? How many she did, did she do? She made it 95 miles, <sighs> 95 miles in 24 hours. And with 300 obstacles, there's 300 per five. Well, so there's, uh, there's like an obstacle every quarter mile. Oh, Oh, so it's like that was I did that tough mutter in Temecula. Yeah. Once. And it was kind of we just like we we're all trainers. Someone was like, hey, do you want to do this? We went and just showed up and, and did it. The hardest part for me doing that was the running because it was like 10.1 miles. And up until that point, I don't think I'd ran more than like five miles since high school because I just hated it. But having the obstacles in there, it was so fun. And yeah. it made it was such like a good kind of like a little team building thing. Yeah, it breaks. But at the end, the, you know those like the electrical wire shit. Yeah. That looks so the cool. hanging things, I'm like, this is looks really dumb. And I look at my buddy and we're like, whatever, we'll go. But they're, they don't make it like a straight line so that if you don't want to get shocked, you just go low. They put hay bales. So you have to go over the hay bales, but above you are the electrical wires. And so I just charged like as, as hard as I could, I just ran straight through and I got hit by one of those things. And I went like straight to the ground, just dropped me. I've watched videos of people. I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I got up and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, th- I thought we were doing like a couple volts here, but it was like a full-blown electric show. Plus you're wet from all the yeah. mud and everything. And uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd do that. Uh, I don't like getting shocked. Uh, those, the thing that I don't like about Tough Mudders and Spartan, I don't think Spartan is as much like Tough Mudder like this, that you help each other over the obstacles. And yeah. Katie, as much as I love her, she was like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, so you're the winner of the toughest mutter, which I don't want to take anything away from her. She's awesome. She's a psychopath. Um, she's an incredible athlete. But she would like get to the, she's like, there's stuff you can't get over and people have to help you. And I'm like, well, that's, kind of weird that's not fit (laughs) well no not that it's not fit but it just like throws too many too many variables into it yeah of like who was helping you and who helped them and uh did they want you to win and so they kind of pushed you along yeah it just seems like i I would rather like you do the whole thing yourself and you're totally 
I got a question for you. How do you define fitness? Because part of answering this question of who's the fittest person in the world, it requires a sound definition of what fitness is in the first place. It's a good question. Um, I think it's a combination of strength and cardiovascular fitness. So like, I like to break it down and just go, just go with numbers. What's your VO2 max? Yeah. What's, what's your, what's your um, strength of like, you know, what, over a number of, of different lifts. And, yeah. you know, cause some people have a strong bench and others have a strong squat and it's almost like a CrossFit total, you know, like what can you bench overhead press and squat, you know, like, or right. what can you, um, <clears throat> I don't, a deadlift a squat and bench. Uh, bench or no, I think they do overhead. I think it's overhead power, power lifting. Uh, yeah. No, power the, lifting, uh, CrossFit, bench, CrossFit total. Oh, cross, uh, yeah, power yeah, lifting, yeah. 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 Or overhead uh, power lifting. Powerlifting, that's, that's enough of a way to quantify it. In fact, right now, that's the kind of stuff I work on. I work on like increasing my strength. Well, those powerlifting moves are going to show you how strong I am, right? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to prove to me I've got a str- And if I'm doing them, like I do Wendler cycles all the time. And with the accessory work, because it's like, I feel like I'm hitting everything. And then, and then I know I'm strong. And, uh, and then I work on my running days. I work on like bringing down my mile time because I believe like middle distance Mm -hmm. is where fitness is like long distance is endurance. It's just how long can you endure the pain and how long can you, uh, sprinting is how much power do you have where, and I'm not a good middle distance runner at all. Like quarter to, I was a quarter miler in college, but like not a good one. Um, I was way better at the 55 meter dash. Were you um, doing comedy at the time that you were an athlete? No, no. So that um, was like a later thing. But I was the funny guy on the team. I was the troublemaker and didn't want to practice ever and joked about not stretching and never <laughs> doing anything. But I, but I was good. So you were like I, a thorn in the coach's ass. Oh, the coach could not stand me. In high school, I used to show up drunk at pra- practice and uh, <laughs> for track. Yep drunk i'd be like doing like our workouts and i'd be like i'm gonna puke and the coach would be like well you're not running hard enough i'm like oh, it was those beers i had when i skipped school today um, you, did you have a drinking problem uh no i didn't have a drinking problem i was just a, like i was like uh you know fast times of ridgemont High. on the on the venn diagram of drinks and sports yeah <laughs> that's like where the problem is right right in the Part- middle partying was number one sports were number two fair and uh when i got to college same thing and it, I probably washed out of sports because partying was more important. Uh, do you think you had more potential? Yeah, I, I do. I know that now, but I didn't believe in myself then. Why? I thought Because I was white and I was a sprinter and I just thought that I had reached my potential at speed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I didn't know, I was a hurdler and I didn't realize how good my times were. And I didn't realize that uh, my that I could keep getting better even with my form. I like I thought I thought I've maxed out form, like I have top top hurdling form. The only thing that's holding me back is speed. And since then, now that the internet exists, I'm able to do analysis and go, mm-hmm. oh wait, this guy's not even as fast as me, but he's like you know, like the number two Canadian in the world and he's going to the Olympics and I'm faster than he was. So he had better technique than me. 
and I could have worked on my technique more. Um, and also I know now that you can actually get faster and work on your speed. And, right. and I just thought I, you know, tapped out and I was like, this is it. This is all I got. Um, right. Do you so, like, do you ever look back on that and regret not being more focused through that time in your life and like pursuing your athletics the way that you now reflect on it and know you could? Yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't know athletic. I thought social life would get me everywhere and I enjoyed social life. Track was really hard mm -hmm. and there was no glory at all. That, like there'd be like two people at my college track meets and I was telling somebody yesterday, I go, even my girlfriend at the time wouldn't ask how, how my meet went. Like she didn't give a shit. Like she was like, Oh yeah, you run track. I forgot. Uh, and so <clears throat> there was like <clears throat> nothing to gain from it. There was no glory in that sport. There was no, like the sport you did, you're a hot dog. You're coming down the mountain. Everybody's watching. They think it's cool. It's exciting. Chicks like it. The sport I did, unless you're at the Olympics, nobody's watching you. No one cares. So and even then, unfortunately, like, I mean, <clears throat> Usain Bolt's got to be the biggest sprinter that I, there's been in no one can name decades, another. right? And name me the second guy, yeah. unless you're in the world of sprinting or you're someone who trains or like, you're in the collegiate sphere. It's just not. <laughs> and, and to be honest, my, my uh, social uh, crew or whatever I was in, that's not a sport that they care about. Right. So, so the people that were finding what I do interesting were uh, not the people that I was hanging out with. They weren't my uh, social circles. So it was like, I was deviating from like my friends and my people over to this whole group that I was like, oh yeah, I guess I'm hanging out with you guys now because I have this weird talent. Uh, and you know, it, I love action sports now. I would have never been good at them uh, because I have an amygdala that doesn't. Doesn't <laughs> that, like fear. <laughs> yeah, I just at a certain point, I- Wait, I, all right, hold on, but about- I, I wanted to ask you specifically about this too, because there's so much fear for most people for uh, most people, public speaking, et cetera, et cetera. So when you think about that part of your brain that has this, I don't know, is it related to like physical risk, not social risk? And so you can kind of go on stage and just, and maybe even bomb and it doesn't scare you away from doing it again in the future. I have an incredible amount of fear. Uh, and I, work on it. I enjoy fear. I think it's good. I think fear is what keeps anxiety away. I have this theory that we all have adrenaline and you have to release it. And if you don't release it, it's going to create panic attacks. Like you're just going to have adrenaline. It's almost like it's building up in your body. And if you don't release it, it will release itself. And um, so you have to go out and scare yourself every once in a while. And if you aren't scaring yourself, it's, it's going to hit you and you're going to get built up with anxiety because our body has a natural, you know, we used to have fight or flight all the time. We're evolutionarily built to, you know, run from animals and save our lives and, and be in that fear and fighting situation to fight for things. Well, we don't do that anymore. So that's why there's so much anxiety around the world. So I like going surfing and putting myself every once in a while in a situation where I'm like, 
fuck, I shouldn't have paddled out into this. Right. This is way too big. And that feeling sucks. But at the same time, I'm like, I needed to do that for myself. And there's kind of a little bit of a, after you, after it's over, it's like, whew, I did right. that. So I like that. But um, I just, I don't get that for comedy anymore. I got it in the beginning and it was kind of like a fun thing. I enjoyed that fear. Yeah. Uh, I've learned to master it to the point where no matter what the situation is at this point, I can't, I don't get the fear. I, my heart might beat a little bit faster, just yeah. a little bit for like, you know, every once in a while I'll do a show of like 10,000 people or something. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, like, but it's more of like, yeah, I can't wait to get out here. Right. Or every once in a while, the other night, uh, Brian Regan came to my show and he's one of my favorite comedians in the world. And they told me Brian Regan's coming over. And I was to, like, to be in your show or he was in the audience to, to be in the audience. He yeah. had finished his show at another casino in Reno and we had never met. And he just wanted to come over and hang out. And, uh, so he came over and I look back of the room, I see him sitting there and I, I he, he's like an idol of mine. Like right. I just look at him as he's the clean, like the best clean comic that exists. And I'm, I'm not a clean comic, but I have so much respect because it's so much harder to do. What is that? Uh, you mean just in his communication? Like he doesn't swear. He's doesn't just swear. Doesn't talk yeah. about sex. Doesn't talk. You know, it's just, yep. you know, he's very observational about like nuance. And, um, and I saw him and I, there was a little bit of nervousness, you know, like I'm performing for Brian Regan right now. Like I, right. I, the audience was like, I'm using you guys now. I need you to laugh. So that Brian Regan thinks I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> it's not like, I'm not trying to entertain you people. And there was like moments like that. It, I had to switch in my head during the show and go, stop playing to Brian. Cause you don't know what he likes play to the audience. Cause you know what traditionally works and what you do. And, and just basically be yourself, be your funny mm -hmm. self and it'll all work. But that battle was going on in my head the entire show. So going back to like the nervous thing, uh, there's no fear for me really at this point. And I guess it's the same with like a skier or, you know, a cliff diver or, you know, big wave surfer that at a certain point of just doing it over and over and over and over um, the fear, like I used to ski moguls and do mogul competitions. I couldn't imagine doing a backflip off of anything. That's so funny to me because I think of, I've had, there's been this part of me ever since I was like younger that has always wanted to do stand-up comedy. I've just, I've always wanted to, I've always kept like a notes in my phone of jokes and I've wanted to do it forever, but I'll read them back to myself out of this situation. And I'm like, this is so dumb. It's not funny. No one will ever think it's funny. And the amount of fear that I get thinking about, like I have no problem public speaking. I'll stand up and give a presentation. I love that kind of stuff all day long. No problem. The thought of going up and trying to put my humor in front of everybody and hope that it like lands on how I thought it was funny before. And then it actually being funny in the moment and almost knowing that I would need the, the affirmation and the laughter to keep going down that same track confidently scares the shit out of me. It so, might be the single most scary thing in my life. So two things, knowing that I want to <laughs> two things. Um, uh, you, I'm the opposite. If you told me to go up and speak, seriously yeah i would freak out <laughs> like when i have to give a like a like a best man speech at a wedding <clears throat> i like live for those moments 
I make it, I make it funny because I can't be serious about it. Um, if I have to give a eulogy at a wedding or at a funeral, I, uh, I freak out. Like, I'm like, Oh no, you know, like I can't, I have to, or if I'm like working, you know, cause I try to create TV shows and stuff. And when I, when I pitch, it's okay. Um, but if I had to give a presentation or something, I would freak the fuck out because I, my, my backstop is, is comedy. And, and that's where I'm going to go to out of that's my safe zone. I don't feel safe, not doing the funny. So, so I'm the opposite of where you are. Um, there's a funny joke by Seinfeld where Seinfeld says, uh, it's one of my, I, I don't, I'm not like a huge Seinfeld fan. I like them, but this one joke in particular, I think is just so insightful. He said, man's biggest fear is speaking in public. Number two is death. And that means that the man giving the eulogy at the funeral would rather be the guy being eulogized. That's true. And um, we based, uh, so I'm buddies with this surfer, uh, Ab- Albie Layer, who's uh, one of the best big wave surfers in the world and best surfer all around. I'd never tell him that to his face because I don't like to compliment him, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's, in my opinion, he's one of the best surfers in the world. And because uh, he can do like incredible airs and <clears throat> great turns, and, but he also can surf big waves. He, he and I were surfing together. I broke my elbow just paddling. Another story. You're made of glass. Yeah. I mean, it was the weirdest thing. I just like took a stroke and was like, what the fuck? And he's like, you weren't even surfing. He's like, you didn't even ride a wave. And I'm like, ah, I don't know what's happening. Rub and some C4 on it. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. And uh, he uh, he was making fun of me. And I said, something about how I wouldn't surf any big waves or, and I said, well, you, you know, you'd never do what I do. You know, like what I do is just as scary. And he's like, you're right. And the editor of surfer magazine was with us. Who's a friend. And he was like, Oh my God, this is great. He's like, Albie, you should do stand up, Eddie. You should go surf jaws. Oh fuck. That's such an unfair proposition. I, I agree. <laughs> In fact, so they'd made a seven part series where they filmed us getting ready to do this. Like Albie was going to, do stand up. I was going to, and surfer went out of business in the, in the, yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Well, we were, so in, did everything that revolved around action sports, but yeah, that's but another they, conversation. Yeah. They took me, they took me toe in surfing though, training me to go to jaws. Originally it was going to be uh, like on swell, like proper jaws or oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. so you were going to yeah. basically die. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Because I also wanted to go left at jaws. That was one of Great. my arguments that I wanted to go left and they're like, you, you go left. They go, if yeah. And they're like, if you go left, it will be better for you initially, but the rocks are over in the left. And if you get, if the jet ski doesn't pick you up in time, you're dead. I mean, I did a couple, I came down to San Diego and would do my jet ski training, did the, the whole, you know, pulling the vest, everything like deep water. I did took breath, breath classes and building to this the whole time. I kept saying, I don't even know. I, there's a very good chance that I will go out there at Jaws, look at it and go, it's not happening, guys. Not yeah, gonna absolutely happen. not. I, I have children. Yeah. But what a lot of them were arguing is that they were going to tow me in and they tow me into a you know, little one. A shoulder. And a bigger yeah. one. And a bigger one and a bigger one. And they go, by the end of the day, you're going to be like, we're coming back tomorrow. Right. And 
uh, you know, one of my buddies, Jamie Sterling, who's a big wave surfer was like, we're, we're going to start out. And he goes, I want you to come to Oahu first and we'll go out to phantoms. And he goes, you, you, you're going to want, you're going to love this. He's like, you're going to get into it, especially towing because it's cheating and it's easier. But I went to Jaws and looked at it. And I was just like, I saw it on a day that it was big, but it wasn't surfable. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, I don't know. I, I don't even know about going out on the back of the jet ski. And uh, so, uh, but Albie was just as scared of doing stand-up. But back to your thing of saying the two aren't comparable. I, I tried to say that. And the, I go, me doing Jaws is like, Albie, your first time going up at the Apollo. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not the, <laughs> not apples to apples. No, like performing in San Diego at the comedy store in front of like your surf buddies yeah. is not the same as me. No, doing. it would be, it would be, it would be a sellout next. It's like, Hey, we're going to sell out an arena doing Netflix special and uh, you know, sale or bomb. This thing's going live on TV for the yeah. rest of your life. Yeah, that's that's that. Was and the also, there's a 85 percent chance we're just going to shoot you in the middle of it because we feel like it. That's what it would actually be like. Yeah, his <laughs> argument, his argument. There were a lot of funny jokes in it. His argument was that I'm a better stand up or I'm a better surfer than he is a stand up. And I said, that's not necessarily true, especially when it comes to big wave surfing. Right. And uh, uh, but he I said my argument was that I could die during mine. I could physically die. And he said that, uh, he goes, um, he goes, no, I could die too. I go, yeah, you're <laughs> just going to bomb. He goes, no, because if I bomb bad enough, I'll kill myself. <laughs> oh my God, this guy. So, so what, what ended up happening? So we, we filmed a lot of stuff and we never, uh, we never made it, but it, it went into a pitch I have for a TV show called Fear Swap, where I take someone that, does something that I'm afraid of. Maybe it's like snake handling or, mm. or haunted, you know, like a ghost hunter or something. And I teach them stand up comedy and they have to do stand up, but I have to like spend a night in a haunted house or I have to like, you know, you know, go catch an anaconda in the Everglades or, or not an anaconda, a python, or I have to surf a big wave or, you know, I might bring you on the show and I have to chuck a backflip and, yeah. uh, you know, which would be the worst thing you could do to me. Like I would the idea of like even, Anaconda, no even, problem. Even starting from like you said, hey, we're gonna do pool to yeah. or to foam pit to you know pool with skis on to I'd be like, I just I don't like I just see too much <laughs> like the back end of this just seems too I watch too many videos. I don't think the only the, the main thing on that list that rubs me the wrong way is the ghost hunting stuff like i just i'm not down to watch a scary movie because then i can't shut my cabinet when i brush my teeth kind of shit because i just yeah. think someone's gonna be behind yeah. me yeah to spend a night in one of those spots like an old bunker or something like that no you'd go chase a python hands, the, down. hands down i don't mind snakes i actually like likes i mean am i gonna die like what's the no they're pythons like there's a crew they can, they can bite you they're not they're not poisonous no yeah python all day i would do i would do that uh, probably before I did the stand up swim with sharks, like uh, Rob Deerdeck did, like that style where you're like, you're yeah, sw- yeah, him. for yeah. sure. Okay, see, there's a bunch of stuff where uh, you know, I am fear, I, I, I have lots of fears. I'm um, I'm cleathrophobic, which is means it's a fear of being trapped. So, 
uh, I just have real trouble in like elevators. How do you deal with hugs? No, I'm okay. <laughs> I, I don't like when some like big fucking dude, like an MMA guy, like locks me up and oh, okay. I, I, I don't like it at all. Um, I don't like headlocks. I don't, I can't do jujitsu because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like elevators. I don't ride elevators. I don't like roller coasters anymore. I rode them my whole life. I love the idea of flying around a roller coaster. I don't like the idea of that. It's the latch. The, like latch. the latch. Yeah. The latch. I don't like it. Um, can you watch they, videos of like, could you watch a video of someone being buried alive? Like a fear factor type show. I can't, I, I can barely watch that stuff. I, yeah. That's, that's, I don't like that stuff. Um, <clears throat> anything like I'm not afraid of confined spaces. It's not claustrophobia. It's a confined space with a lock on the door. So like, you could actually be in a small space that you knew you could get out of and it wouldn't. Right. It would be but no you put harm. me in a big space. Like, so I don't ride elevators, Yeah. but you put, so I write, take the stairs all the time, but you put me in a stairwell, which is giant and the door locks at the end. I freak the fuck out. Yeah. And it's the whole idea of being trapped. And, uh, so like, I don't wear a wedding ring. Uh, because oh, is this a joke? <laughs> no, it is a joke. I do have a joke on stage, but I, <laughs> I, I, my fear of it getting stuck on my finger. Um, really? Yeah. Have you ever been arrested? Uh, once, once, How in scary was that once, for you? once in handcuffs. And I remember always thinking, I don't want it to happen because, yeah. uh, because I won't be able to handle it. Yeah. And when it was happening, I remember going, my worst nightmare is coming true. And if I act on it the way my body's telling me to act, uh, it's going to get way worse. For sure. Yeah. You're just going to cut your wrist and, and be uncomfortable and dislocate your shoulder. Yeah. And I was like, these guys are going to kill me. You know, like. What did but, you do? <laughs> so I, rem- uh, I, my buddies and I were at a bachelor party and we were shit faced and we left a bar down at this little beach town. There were all these bikes piled up outside and we just, my buddy grabbed a bike uh, and started riding around on it. And then I ran over and jumped on the handlebars and he was riding around with me on the handlebars. And this, this buddy's a former um, Tour de France rider. And, uh, and uh, we're riding around and I thought he's a pro, you know, how often do you get this opportunity? So uh, we're riding <laughs> around and then the cops like threw on some, because fl- we were riding around in like the street. Yeah. Cops threw on some flashing lights and I was like, go, you know, like, just go, like go down an alley. They'll never, we're on a bike. You know, there's no way them and their They car- were coming after you for the, the stolen bike. No, they were just coming with us after us. Cause we were riding around the middle of traffic without helmets. You know, it's like two drunk guys right, in a right. nice family beach town. Well, they, they got us. They, they cornered us like down an alley and um they're like, get off the bike. And they were like, you guys smell like a brewery. You know, you can get a DUI riding a bike. And I'm like, well, I was just on the handlebars. There's your guy. And uh, the, the cop said, where'd you get the bike? And I think it was, I forget if it was like a kid's bike or something. And I go, uh, we found it. Nice. And uh, as soon as I said, we found it, he goes, put your hands behind your back. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, I know where this is going. And, uh, the town we did it in, I used to be a lifeguard, like an ocean lifeguard. And the, the lifeguards are pro- like kind of with the firemen and with the police. So I thought, I'm going to talk my way out of this by, you know, telling them that we're all former lifeguards and, uh, you know, we're just at a bachelor party and we're just goofing around and we're sorry. And uh, I go, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, put your hands behind your back. 
And I said, uh, I, I'm going to put my hands. He goes, put your hands behind your back. I was like, I just want to tell you before I do. He's like, put your hand behind your back now. You know, and like, they were like, get on the ground. And I was oh, like, because you wanted to communicate to them that you have this. Yeah. And I just want phobia say, that they were going to disregard anyway. And I was going to say, yeah. And I was going to try to say, hey, put me in the. Uh, and I think I did, if I remember correctly, I was so drunk. But I think I said, look, I'm coming with you willingly. I'll go with you to the station. I'll pay any fines. I'll do whatever you guys want. But just please don't put me in handcuffs. And the next thing you know, shut up. So it's like, oh, my God. So I'm in the backseat of the cop car. Wait, yeah. What's worse, the handcuffs are being locked in the backseat of the cop car because that's an enclosure, too. Or is it double negative? Do you feel fine? No, both were bad. Alcohol probably made it lessened it. Yeah. Uh, The shoulder, like. I don't know anybody that's been in handcuffs knows like, you know, sometimes, especially if you like lift weights or work out sometimes, sometimes you have bad shoulder yeah. mobility and your shoulders, you're like, Oh, this fucking hurts. So your wrists are hurting. Your shoulders are hurting. You're sitting on your hands, which is just like, yeah. they're like behind you. And, uh, the policeman starts driving around. They're not talking to you. They're not like, Hey, what's up guys. You know, they're ignoring yeah. you. And they start driving around and you're like, what's, what's this process start going in my head of like, how long do do they drive around? Yeah. I thought you were going downtown. Right. Like when do we go to the police station? Do I go, you know, and I start thinking, am I going into a jail cell? Which Which would be your ultimate nightmare. Yeah. That's where I start butting my head against a wall and kill myself. So I'm freaking out and my buddy starts kind of mouthing off to the cops and I just look at him and I go, shut the fuck up. Like, like we have to be on best behavior right now because I just, you know, it's, it's, and I don't know why everybody doesn't do this. You, you get more bees with honey. The nicer we are, the more cooperative we are, the easier this is going to be. If we give them any slack, they're going to make it as hard for us as possible. Right. So I'm just like, I keep going, Hey guys, I just want to for speak on both of us, you know, behalf of both of us and say, we're really sorry. And that was really dumb of us. And uh, we shouldn't have done that. You know, we used to work here in the borough and uh, you know, like I'm sure, you know, and I start naming some of the police officers we knew. And I said, yeah, this is really dumb. This was a bad idea. And uh, just, you know, so they take us back to the police station. They handcuff, they take one off my wrist and, and uh, handcuff it to a bench. And um they, uh, I'm like, it, you know, they're not telling us anything and they treat you like, you know, like a degenerate that you are. Right. And, uh, you know, they don't tell you anything or it's not like, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to get. That's, they're just, you know, like, what's up guys, way to go, you know? Right. And I'm like, are we going into jail for the night or two nights or three nights? I've heard stories of friends that get like a DUI on a Friday and they don't get out till Monday till court. And I'm like, is this, and this was probably like a Friday. I'm like, is this a Monday thing? Is this tomorrow? Is this when we post bail? What happens? So the cop writing us up says, uh, he's like, uh, what do you do, Miss Drift? And I'm like, I'm a stand-up comedian. And he just goes, you think this is funny? And I go, no, sir. No, no, I don't. I don't think this is funny at all. And then my buddy, he goes, <clears throat> what do you do? Uh, uh, I can't even remember his name right now. I'm having a mental block, Dan. Uh, he goes, what do you do? He goes, I'm a professional bike racer. And he goes, uh, he goes, 
he goes, oh, we got two comedians here, two comedians. And uh, I go, uh, actually only one, sir. <laughs> no, I go, I swear to God. I go, I go, he, I, I go, uh, he's, uh, he races the bikes. I go, I just sit on the handlebars and tell the jokes. And, uh, I go, I swear to God, he, and I would like started telling them what he did. And he had been asking them. He'd been like fighting with them. Cause he had to go to the bathroom and he was yelling at them. And I guess he's got like prostate problems from cycling for so long, like being a cyclist. And so I was like, that's why he's got the prostate problem because, because he's a professional bike racer. And, uh, so then one of the cops came in and knew who I was talk about getting recognized at the right wow. time. There's your, your 15 minutes of fame that totally paid off. Right. It, it did. And how old were you at this point? Probably 30. You're like, this was last week. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it could have been no joke. My friends and I would have done this. The, the cop goes, uh, I better not end up in any of your jokes. And as soon as he said that, I was like, I think I'm getting off. And, uh, and I go, I, I promise never, ever, ever, ever will you be in one of my jokes? And he goes, you're a liar. And I go, nope, I swear, I swear. And uh, so they kind of start talking to us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, we're getting out of here. And I go, we just, uh, you know, we're sorry. We messed up. I go, we just want to get back to the bachelor party so we can see the stripper. <laughs> and as I say that, he goes like this stripper and it's a nice family town. He goes stripper. Where do you guys have a stripper? And I was like, no, we, I was, I was joking. There's no stripper. And I was like, not that it's illegal. Or anything, but <laughs> right. Right. And we did, we had a stripper coming and I was, part of me was like, I'm going to miss a stripper. I'm in jail and they're going to all be back there for the stripper. So, uh, so the cop has us, uh, sign our papers, which we got, uh, they were felonies, felony theft of a bicycle. And he told us, he said, if you come down to the court case, the, the judge will drop it to, uh, what's it called? Uh, public disturbance or something. And then it's a misdemeanor. He goes, right. gotta, and I'm living in California. I got to go back to New Jersey for court. So, uh, so, uh, as I'm filling out, uh, my paperwork, he goes, uh, 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 Mr. If not so, not so, uh, not so quickly. And he goes, to the other cop, he goes, put him back in the handcuffs. And I'm like, what is this a joke? And they handcuffed me again to the wall. And I go, what's going on? He goes, you have a warrant for your arrest. And I was like, huh? And he goes, you have a warrant for your arrest. And uh, I go for what? He goes, a noise, uh, an unpaid ticket for a noise violation that you got here years ago. He goes something about an air horn and a, and a raft and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I was like, and I had thought I paid off all my tickets. Like I went down one, like yeah. before that bachelor party, I actually called a state policeman and said, I have warrants for my arrest for unpaid tickets. And I, I want to pay them, but I don't want to get thrown in jail. Like I, so is there a right. way I can do this? Because I knew this bachelor party would get out of hand. You're like, look, I'm planning on stealing bicycles on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I it was, can't get caught for this. And I was like, I don't want what was happening to happen. So I, this guy walked me into a police station. This was like four days prior, walked me in. I wrote a check for all my unpaid tickets yeah. and uh, I was in the clear and I go, I've paid all those tickets. He goes, I'm sorry. You got one here. You owe $250, blah, blah, blah. He goes to my buddy, my one friend that was a lawyer that was, came to like rescue us. He goes, get his wallet, take his credit card. He goes, what's your pin number? Policeman says this. He goes, what's your pin number? I give it to him. And he takes my card outside. He goes, get out 250 bucks. And he comes back in and hands the cop 250 bucks. And then is that they, legal? 
I swear to God to this day, I think that cop just put that money in his pocket and, and let me go. Probably, probably. Because yeah, it was cash. I didn't sign anything. I mean, you're lucky you didn't get locked in that cell. That would have been the end of you. I, I can't imagine your worst fear. Yeah. I mean, I, true all at once. I keep saying I should go to a psychiatrist and, and I tried a hypnotist once and that didn't work. And Dr. Drew told me I used to be on Loveline and Dr. Drew was always like, you got to go get CBT. Yeah. Uh, is that cognitive behavioral therapy? He's like, you have to work this out. He's like, it's the only thing that's going to cure it. Is there like, how's the mental health across the comedic roster? Oh, oh awful. awful. Right. And this was so from an outsider's perspective, looking in, it seems that this is like, very commonplace what for people to be lunatics and the common? comedians are are like down and out or or self-deprecating and, and that's why i say it's a it's a it's a disability and not a uh not a talent uh when uh, so every hotel i go to you know they have to show me where the stairs are and a lot of times the stairs are locked mm -hmm. so they'll have like security take me up the stairs and then i feel like a piece of shit because i gotta make this guy walk up the stairs with me every time I go upstairs. So the San Jose improv uh, has me at a hotel. I go in, I tell, tell them they have the security guard take me and it's like a labyrinth that we have to go through to get to the stairs. Right. So they've got like a convention center and this and that. And um, I'm walking with the guy and I just, I'm like trying to explain myself. I'm like, sorry, dude, I got to, uh, you know, I'm claustrophobic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I guess you got to do this all the time. And he goes, no, no. I'm like, there aren't a lot of people with this. He's like, no, not really. He goes, you know, um, all the comedians from the improv stay here. And he goes, just them, a bunch of comedians. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I've had to take a bunch of comedians. He's like, and he starts naming them to me. And yeah. I'm like, that's my friend. That's my friend. And he named like four friends of mine. And I'm like, they don't ride elevators. And he's like, no. And I was like, all because of this. Is it, do you think it's the comedy is like a therapy for the, rest of how the brain the brain or like mental state is is for these people i the only thing i can attribute it to is control mm -hmm. and it's a control issue that like i like to be fully in control and uh i don't like when things get out of my control mm -hmm. and uh in that situation i'm completely out of control you know if i were in an elevator right. and were to be stuck i'm at you know but there's many other situations in my life where I am too. I'll tell you what. Um, so you, you chairlifts get me too. Really? So well, yeah, because you want to jump off. I feel like that all the time. Oh, really? So, so w when I was, I grew up skiing and uh, when I was a ski instructor in high school, my buddy and I, and he was like the craziest guy I know. We were on a chairlift one day and they always got stuck. We were at this little resort, Seven Springs, and they get stuck all the time. We're sitting there and it gets stuck one day and it's just longer than usual. And it starts to get to the point where it's like, you know, I'm feeling that adrenaline going through my body and I just start to have a panic attack. It's probably one of the first I've ever had. And I didn't know that I had it, right. but I didn't know what it was. And I just start freaking out and I'm like, what the fuck, what the fuck? And he just open palm smacked me in the face, like as hard as he could. And he goes, shut the fuck up. You pussy shut the fuck up. And I guess he was starting to get a little bit nervous and my freak out was making him. Right. And that's kind of also who he is. Yeah. But it, it worked. 
it worked. It set me like off. And that I've learned that that's, you know, basically how you can set off, like change the direction of a panic attack of the spiral. So whatever he did really worked with me. Yeah. But, you know, like I ski and all the time there. T- and, and so I became a ski patrol and I learned how to take people off a chairlift. And I remember thinking all the time, well, like, I'm a tough, strong guy. I'll just kick my skis off and hand over hand, go down the cable. And now I'm like, you're not doing that with ski boots on and cold and, you know, absolutely not. Yeah, no, that's, that's worse. You know, that's a better chance of dying. So it's like, you know, there are some lifts that I look at, like, you know, the one at mammoth that goes up that, that just over the ravine or whatever. Well, the over ravines are scary. Cause you're just so hot. And then there's up- a chat. Have you ever skied Telluride? No, I've never seen chair. I think it's five or two. I just put that in your ride. I was like, why does he say or two? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it goes up and then it goes up and they built on top of the lift tower. They built another tower. So it's a double lift tower. And under you, the your lift tower is going up and over the gondola lift tower. Wow. It's just one pole. It's horrible. And it's a two person chair, no bar, nothing. It's like one of the old original. It's a, oh, I hate them. It is chair too because it's the one of the original lifts. You just you, told me never ride chair. Yeah, chair. least favorite chairlift ever. Okay, that so I've ever I, ridden ever. So I've won. There's one at Sun Valley that goes over like mountain to mountain. It's like you know, like peak to peak. I skied there last year. It's down. It. I think it's. I forget. I make fun of it when I do comedy there. I make fun of the chairlift, and the whole audience starts laughing. And I'm like, take that chairlift down. So it's a double. Yeah. I believe it's a double. It could be a triple, but it has no bar, no safety bar. And it goes over at one point, such a high spot that while we're doing it, me and my buddy, he goes, he's kind of like me, a little bit like neurotic. He goes, Can you imagine if we got stuck here? Oh, it'd be, I don't know what you'd do. As he says it, chairlift stops. And it's it a swing. It stopped, yep, for a good 15 minutes. And I was like, I was, I just kept going, why the fuck did you say that? Why did you do that to us? And I was like, so, so I told the story on stage and everybody laughs. And a guy afterwards came up to me, he goes, I'm a ski patrol here. He goes, I gotta be honest, we always joke about, we've never had to evacuate that lift. He goes, we don't know how we'd do it. <laughs> we, we don't know how we'd get to that, that portion of it. Yeah. And I go like, they'd probably have to like helicopter guys down. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like, that's horrible to know that. <laughs> and so when I ski there every once in a while, I'll like make a wrong turn yeah. and I get down to the part of, and I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> like, oh here no. Again. I'm like, this is the only, I'm like, I'm gonna have to hike out. But uh, last year I was at Whistler. And I was skiing with this guy. He's a really good skier. And he goes, uh, or two, two years ago, because I didn't go there last year. He goes, uh, hey, you want to go over to Blackcomb? We're on Whistler. And he goes, let's go over to Blackcomb right now. The snow will be better over there. And I was like, okay. So I'm thinking we're going to ski down. And you know how they have that gondola that goes yeah. peak to peak? And I was like. Gondola is fine, though. You're in a gondola. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like a tram. Yeah, a little bit. But this has a glass bottom, you know. And mm. um, he goes, let's, let's, let's do it. And all the, all the lift lines that day were just packed. Yeah. There's no one in line, no one to go over this thing. And I'm like, why is no one taking this thing? It only has two towers. It's got like 
that comes out of the, like the hut, hits one tower, and then it just to the next tower. I don't like that. And it's over. These are 5,000 vertical foot mountains, one yeah. to the other. And he's like, you got to watch the video. Go on YouTube and watch the video of the making of this thing. And it just seemed like this is like, I'm not like, I don't know have you ever ridden the tram in uh, Palm Springs? That one that goes up to no, no, is it scary? We, well, we that was my first time ever in like a true tram, like a big tram. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, you go up like an insane amount of vertical feet in a very short amount of time, and they're telling you all about how it was built and the wind resistance and all this. And I'm like, man, one bull wheel snap, and we're getting catapulted into Palm yep. Desert. I absolutely not. I hate this. Yeah, I, I think about that all the time. I mean, look, at the end of the day, that's actually a pretty good death compared to like a long, sick, unhealthy death. Uh, Getting catapulted know. by a bull wheel. Yeah, because you're going to be dead in in a matter of a, a millisecond. I, I mean, it's way better. I, I So I have this weird thing on uh, chairlifts. Like ever since I was younger, I the higher it gets and the more uh, unrestricted you are, like if you don't have the bar over. I just have this urge to jump. I, I always all get do. it. I think what we all is do. that? I don't know. And um, m- my fear now is that I ski with my six-year-old and my two-year-old. And oh, that they'll fall. I, my six-year-old, I think, is now at the point where I don't have to hold her backpack. Oh, and, I'd have a panic attack for sure. Uh, but for, I can tell you. So she's been skiing since she was like two. A two and a half, almost three. Um, so the last like three years, I've held on to her every single chairlift. I that totally makes does, sense. She doesn't even realize it. You know, she's got like because yeah. I, I skied with the harness on her. Um, I just have my hand right on her on the back, just out of that. If she ever joked around or yeah. did something, and you know, I always have the bar down. I don't like you know. Every once in a while, you go to a resort doesn't have a bar. I think that should be a federal law, for sure. That they have a bar. Yeah, it's kind of freestyle cowboy. I just think it's weird. Um, you know what do- didn't scare me though is skydiving. Me neither. Me neither. I was well, like, I yeah. don't get what's going on. Sure. I kind of <laughs> went. You have a one second decision, and that's where all the pain is. It's just in that, uh, and then it's over. Like you're in the air. Uh, I did static line, so my chute opened, and then I directed it down. Wait, what's that? Static uh, line. The chute opens on its own. I, I was not with someone. I was alone. Oh, what? Can yeah. you do that the first time? Yeah. Yeah. It's like oh, a military man. jump. The chute opens on its, on its oh, own. Oh, where it's hooked on the rope and you run yeah. out. Wait, yeah. How did you get to do that? Beaver Valley skydiving. I was the head of the Panther skydiving club in college. So okay. uh, wait, hold, hold on. You were what? You were the head of the skydiving club? I, I, I created the Panther You're not going to brush over club. this. Yeah, wait, what the University it? of Pittsburgh. It got me kicked out of school. So I don't like to talk about I mean, I don't like oh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I basically stole money from the university of Pittsburgh to create this group. I, and then, the took, all, and then took, took all my buddies skydiving. So, um, we got like 30 the Panther skydiving club. That's it was, incredible. It was insane. And so, so you got to do military style jumps. Well, that's all they did. It was, uh, I forget. They would just keep, you do static lines until you got to a certain point. Once you did enough static lines, then they would do a couple you know, they would start, I think the accelerated free fall program. So, uh, it, you know, there's nothing to learn other than toggling, but there's a guy 
down below and you've got a walkie talkie on your shoulder. And so he's communicating, pull, right, pull, left, pull, right, pull, left. Right. So you, you steer, I mean, there's not a lot that can go wrong. I mean, well, you don't want to like spin down, right? You come no, right they, in real they, hot. They, they fucked with my friend, Kevin, the guy that smacked me in the face. Yeah. They were going, Kevin kept fucking with them all day. And so they were like, pull right, pull right, pull right. And Kevin's like going into a spiral <laughs> and they're like, ha ha. The guy said, watch me fuck with Kevin. So Kevin's going, zzz, zzz, zzz. and then the guy goes, all right, Kevin, pull left. You know, like jokes yeah, over yeah, yeah. Pull left. He goes, Kevin, Kevin, pull left. Kevin, pull left. Kevin, Was pull left. Busy? No, Kevin was just like, this uh, is so much fun. You know, like. <laughs> so the guy told us, he goes, you can land here. You can land, you know, we're, we're going to try to bring you down right here. We're in this farm. He's like, you can land here. You can land here. You can land here. He's like, do not land on the other side of that fence. He goes, if you land on the other side of that fence, those neighbors do not like us and they will shoot you. He goes, do not land over there. We're not coming wow. to get you. And Kevin goes, that's where I'm landed. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Yeah. When we went to jump out of the plane, my first buddy, uh, uh, who's a very successful businessman, he's on television now with his company all the time. He's got a commercial. Uh, he, he went to jump out and you've got to get on the wing. It's a Cessna. You get on the wing and then they say three, two, one, go. And you jump out. Yeah. He gets out on the wing and they're like three, two, one. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. And, and they pull him back in and he goes, my shoulder just popped out of its socket. And Kevin looks at me and goes, pussy. <laughs> And, uh, and the guy's like, oh man, he goes, uh, sorry. Uh, I'm not going to say his name. He goes, I'm sorry. He goes, you, uh, you, uh, oh, he goes, this is bad. And he's like, what, what, what? He's like, well, we can't land with you in the plane. This plane can't land with all this weight. It can only take off with the weight, but it, we got to, we got to evacuate the plane. So the plane has enough weight to, to land. He goes, so, uh, you're going to have to do an emergency descent. And he's like, I, or he goes, you're going to have to go. He goes, my shoulder. He goes, well, you're going to have to do an emergency descent. He goes, what's that? He goes, rather than get on the wing, he goes, I'm going to have you just sit here on the edge of the plane. He goes, you're going to roll out. And he goes, do, uh, do everything the same. Keep your hand where your reserve is and everything. And, <clears throat> um, but he's like, you just have to go. And he was like, uh, and he's like, th th he's like three, two, one. And like, he goes out. And, uh, and the guy looks at me, the guy, the jump master turns around and goes, works every time. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I went in, uh, I went in Longmont, Colorado and we went, we just like cruised out from college one day and did it. I'd always wanted to do it. We did like the tandem thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were sitting up there in the plane. It's just like climbing. You kind of look out on like the flat irons and everything. And some dude's just sitting back there with his hands crossed and he's got his feet out and they're just like, I'm like my legs are wrapped around the fucking post to the seat. I'm holding on tight. I'm like, can I get like a seatbelt or something? You know, you're just freestanding. Then they like buckle you up and they're like three, two, one rock on you go. And I got to the bottom and I was so hyped the whole, from the whole thing. But I was like, I would be much more afraid to go do that a second time knowing what I now know. Yeah, I think so too. Because you don't have anything to compare it to. It doesn't make sense when you're sitting up there and you look down and you're just like, <laughs> every experience in my life up to this point has told me that I'm not going to jump out. But it felt very refreshing going back to the chairlift thing to be able to finally do it. It was like very gratifying. I tell everyone uh, that uh, you make the decision to parachute on the ground before you get in the plane. 
for sure. Decisions made when you're on the ground. The decision's not made when they say three, two, one, go. You've already made your decision. Yeah. Your decision is on there on the ground. And it's like, am I getting in this plane? Am I going up to do it? And that's not as scary as jumping. So it's like, you've already made the decision. You're committed. There's no out. Right. And um, um, so there's been scary, way scarier things in my life that I've done. Uh, but that was... Look, now everything I do is statistical. Like I look at like surfing. What are the statistics of me getting killed by a shark? What are the statistics of me, you know, backflipping a motorcycle or doing, when am I, what's going to kill me? And it, I base all my decisions on the statistics. If it's a high probability, I don't do it. Like you mean like actual research statistics or yeah, your, yeah, like, yeah, like your like, EDF research? Yeah. Statistics? Like, uh, like EDF, like I'll go on the internet and look at like, where do people die? Like, I won't ride a dirt uh, road bike, but I'll ride a dirt bike. I see what uh, you're saying. Yeah. Like I, relative statistics. Yeah. It's like, I, I, it's very calculated. Now I know I could die just, you know, tripping, falling down the steps or something, but low probability. Yeah. I go with the probabilities. And I, I had Andy Stumpf on my podcast once and mm -hmm. he was talking about base jumping and, and the, the wingsuit guys. And he's like, their lifespan's like five years. I did. I trained. So for years, um, I trained this guy. I'll not say his name as well. Um, but he's a wingsuiter, like full on. He'd go to Switzerland and, you know, they're like, alive? they're touching the cliffs. He's alive today. Yeah. But while I was training him over a two year period, uh, I don't even think I can honestly count on one. Definitely not on one hand, the amount of very close friends that they lost. Yeah because they were they were flying um i'll remain nameless again but this place near la it's a very small community the base jumping community globally it's like not that many people in it from like the most known like jeb corliss guy all the way down to just like regional, yeah like regional base jumper dudes it's not that maybe it's like 200 people that really yeah. do that it's like free diving right yeah and it gets smaller and, every day <laughs> but literally i mean he'd come in and i'd be like hey man how are you doing and he's like Someone, another one bit the dust, you know, I was like, oh, what happened? They're like, they're trying to fly through a keyhole in the side of the Grand Canyon and they hit the wall instead. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, and it was, it was all the time or, you know, shoot didn't open, they hit the ground. They missed the object. They collided in midair. They got knocked out. They passed out. I mean, well, they, so they, uh, they, uh, what's his name? What was, um, Izzy's teacher's, uh, yeah, what was Shannon's boyfriend's name? Trevor. I had this guy on my podcast. Trevor, he was a medalist. At, I think he medaled at the Olympics in border cross. He's known as one of the best adventure sports athletes in the world. He's a great guy. Nice guy. Um, Not Alex Pulley, because he died no, too, and he was a base jumper. This guy didn't die. He's a, yeah, he was a pro skier. <laughs> he's a base jumper. He's a snowboarder. He's a skier. He's a motocross guy. He's a snowmobiler. He, he Skating skating and bmx he's amazing and motocross uh he's they say you know he's on nitro circus for a while yeah. and if you watch his his reel he sent me his reel and just some of the things he's doing you're like my god you're gonna die he skateboarded off um travis pastrana's roof into his pool from yeah. like three stories up um he and just such a small little area to like make it into the water and he broke his back once i forget how he broke his back but you know, like, and it was kind of, he talked about it on my show about how that changed his whole life. Like the, breaking his back was good because it, it kind of shook Slowed him up. you down. Yeah. 
but I, I follow a lot of these guys on Instagram and they're always sooner or later, there's a hospital picture. Yeah. And you're like, how bad is it? Is it the con- Albie with Albie? It was like a horrible concussion at jaws with, uh, my buddy, uh, Tyler. I have this friend, Tyler, that was a, a parachuter and he was doing all the tricks and thought he was higher than he was and did like a loop and just like whipped himself to the ground and yeah. lost both his legs. And now he's on the Canadian national Paralympic team snowboarding, but more and more, uh, my buddy Drew Steckline, pro skier, uh, I said to him, why'd you quit? And he was like, just lost too many friends, you know, like yeah. too many friends died. And uh, it, it's like, there's something that draws us all to it. It's amazing. And it's that like alpha male, like, look at me, I'm, I'm fearless and I'll do the craziest thing. And, and when you're young, you're like, girls must look at you and think you're the coolest guy in the world. You're, you're reckless and afraid. <laughs> Meanwhile, none of them care at all. Yeah, and not yeah. <laughs> like the only people that care are your buddies who are less good than you or better than you, it's and so who are fun. who are just bigger idiots than yeah. you, but just don't yeah. not as they're, they're they're bigger idiots, but they're not as dumb in a certain yeah. way. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then you know you look at your kids, and I'm like, I want my kids to be good at surfing and skating and all these things, BMX, and but at the same time, you're like, I don't want them to be too good. You know, right. I don't want you to push the limits. I don't want you to make it to the point where you're, that's how you make your living. Like this extreme life that your odds are just. I mean, dude, the odds, I think about this all the time, having grown up in that and having nothing but aspirations to be like a professional athlete in, in that arena. I mean, the odds of becoming a successful actor, very low, so right? Low. Barriers to entry high but like you can go to an acting school and start taking classes and then network with the right people and start filming things and there's not like bodily risk at all points right to become a pro athlete in action sports there's bodily risk the entire time one Mm -hmm. two not many eyes on the sport so even if you do make it and you're successful your opportunities to earn income and actually like make a really long-lasting career out of it are low and then three you have to forego all these formative years that you could put towards creating like revenue streams or other things that are going to last your lifetime when you're not good anymore. Cause that's inevitable. You're going to be, there's going to be someone younger than you, better than you. It's a really brutal like life. I mean, there's, you have like John, John and Gabe Bedina yeah. and Laird Hamilton and yeah. Kelly and Nyjah Houston and Paul Rodriguez. And I mean, I can keep going down to, you know, counting on my toes, but I'm going to cross five different sports. There's just not that many really big name, successful action sports athletes because a lot of people don't understand the sports. It's complicated. You have to kind of do them to know what they're like. And that makes you want to watch them. So it's a, a tall task to pursue those. But what is special about that is that in those sports, you only get people that are diehards for it. You know, like they truly love that sport because they're willing to make all these sacrifices to be part of it. So it's kind of cool. Well, it's passion and it's passion. And it's it. I look at my business and, you know, my parents did not want me doing it because they knew what the percentages were. They knew with comedy. Yeah. And how hard it would be. And look, it was an incredible struggle to get where I am. And I'm still not like, again, I'm not famous, but I make a good living doing it. And, uh, 
and I've got some amazing experiences. I'm all over the world. I get to travel constantly. I, you know, and, uh, I got this hot wife, uh, uh, hot wife. Uh, yeah, she's right there. Um, it's, but there was a definite huge struggle to get here and only a small, 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 tiny percentage get to even where I am. Um, but I love the process. If I could do it all over again, it was so hard. I don't know if I would, but at the time I loved it. I mean, it was so hard. So, uh, I mean, this is kind of like, I wanted to talk about this more than anything. Like what was that <clears throat> process like for you? Cause you've, on one side of it, from an outsider looking in, you're, you've accomplished your dream. You're doing what you want to do on your terms, in your career, and you're doing it well. Uh, but I've heard you say several times in this, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm not as big as I could be, or I'm not famous or, so it seems like maybe on your trajectory of where you think you're capable of, you're coming short a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but I think that's almost everyone and everything you always look at the guy who's doing better than you you know i started with i kevin hart used to open for me you know i've had yeah so i'm and how does that feel it's 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 just weird he he lives about a mile away from me right here and uh you know one day when i found out he lived there i was like like i know him if we saw each other we'd stop and talk forever but i can't like go knock on his door um and yeah, I have his phone number, but I can't even call, you know, it's not one of right. those where I can be like, Hey buddy, I live in the hood, you know? Like, yeah. But you know, there was this, I got to drive up and look at his house, you know, and just see, you know, what, what could have happened and what has happened. And there's this, you know, I think it's in, I was talking to a skier the other day, uh, a guy, a filmer, uh, he was at my show and he's a Warren Miller filmer. And uh, we were talking about a buddy of mine went on a ski trip with him. And I was like, is he that good? Cause I watch his videos and he just, he goes, ah. and I was like, so skiing's like comedy where sometimes the really good ones get to the top, but they're not the most talented. And he's right. like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, you know, marketing and da da da. And that happens in mine too. So I think we're more, I'm more resentful of that when I see someone that I don't think deserves it. And I'm Do you like, think for the, for the most part, the like, I, I, I don't even know how to quantify this. I guess like, I'm just thinking about household names that people, if someone said, Hey, name five comedians. When someone names those five comedians, they're probably going to say like, half Rogan, of them, half Kevin of them, Hart. Yeah. Half of them are great. And half of okay. them are, yeah, half so of it, them are. Yeah. So it is a mix. Some yeah, of them are. Totally. And do you and think that's, that and that's objective? That's just my opinion. You know, like Fair. there's probably other people would say the opposite, you know, like right. Bill, Bill Burr's the real deal. I mean, Bill Burr right. is, I watch Bill sometimes and just go, I should quit. I should quit. I mean, that guy's a, uh, he would fall in the category of like a comedic genius, truly. Yeah, worth, yeah. And almost like he has to speak down to me. Any right for people to understand him yeah. because it's like, no, no but I, I watched Bill and I'm like, literally quit. That's so good. That's so profound. That's so, he's just the confidence, everything about it. It's so good. But then I watch Bill and I'm hypercritical and I'll watch like, another album that's not so good like like sometimes separating that at the top like if so on those five people let's say there's five that are named right and and 50 percent maybe like deserve to be there 50 percent don't is that because 50 percent of those people just knew the right people and got pushed along up the ladder or is it like a work ethic thing or I i think it's a combination of things i think uh i think at our level 
like where I am, everyone's talented, everyone works hard. And the only thing keeping, you know, people at that high level from being the best is luck. You know, I, I went to Australia and had a pretty good career still do. And people used to say, what do you attribute your success to in Australia? And I go, uh, meeting Artie Lang, uh, not Artie Lang, the, the Howard Stern, Artie Lang, right. my agent over in Australia's name is Artie Lang. And my, a friend of mine, an American Australian comedian introduced me to this guy and said, Hey, you should work with him, go to Australia, work with my, and that introduction made my career over there. It wasn't me. It was already made my career. So that luck, that chance meeting of like him introducing me and us connecting mm-hmm. there, it's not that I'm better than anyone over there. It's that Artie was able to shepherd my career and he did a great job and I was lucky enough to meet him. So it was luck. I mean, I had the hard work. I had some of the talent, but he was able to do it. So it was luck that I met this guy that introduced me to him. So I think at like the top level, it's, you know, I got a neighbor over here. He's a really successful guy and he's really talented and he's hardworking, but he was like roommates with Bradley Cooper in high school. You know, like they went to prep school together. So like Bradley Cooper is going to take care of him. you know? So there's a lot of relationships and you don't know what relationship is going to be the relationship that's going to help you on later in life. It's, it's, you know, so, you know, I look at my level where I am that I just chose shit friends. <laughs> so, but do you have, when you're sitting here, well, two things, one, what was it like? Because you're the second person I've had on here who had a really big success, particularly in Australia. Did that feel like fame? Yeah, but it was, it, it felt like I was famous in the minor leagues, not, not to say anything badly about Australia, just, but Australia has 20 million people opposed to America's 325 million. Is that why? So why did, why leave that? Um, because there's this feeling of like, well, I made it, I'm, I'm doing this here, but I still haven't made it in the major leagues. Right. And, uh, you know, like, you know, just my goal was the majors and I'm a big fish in the minors, but I want to be in the majors. And, you know, I was going back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. And I'd keep getting tastes here. And I guess, you know, I've been teased all along where I auditioned for Saturday night live, probably three years into the business. I, I've, had development deals to have my own sitcom. I've had, you know, you just feel like, oh, it's happening. I've been on a sitcom. You just feel like it's happening. It's happening. And then it's like, oh no, it's not. Right. It's happening. It's ha- so that tease, um, I was comparing it the other day to like, you know, a golfer hitting a, uh, just an average golfer hitting a uh, hole in one. And they're like, I can play with the pros. <laughs> you know, like, like, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah. You just had a decent swing once. But in, in acting and that happens to you, you'll go to an audition and, you know, I'd have these like producers go, Hey man, you know, we want to take you to dinner. And at dinner, they'd be like, you're going to be the next big thing. And you're like, well, I am. And you come home and you're like, I'm going to be the next big thing. And there's a lot of enablers. Uh, when I was younger, I had a, I, like, I used to make a joke that I'd go to my agent's office when my self-esteem felt low because I'd walk in and they'd all be like, Oh my God, we're so glad you're here. You're the greatest. You're amazing. You're the best thing ever. And I was like, and, and like, cool. Thanks guys. I'll see you on a Friday. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. as soon as I start to get low again, I'll come back to recharge. Right. But it did help. 
And it was almost like something I needed to keep going. Otherwise, the rejection is at such a high level that I don't know how anybody withstands it unless they're mentally ill. Speaking of rejection, what was your first ever bomb? Like um, true, like maybe you want a quick comedy bomb. I think it was my third set ever. Big crowd? No, no. Because my first, my first set was at the open mic at the Funny Bone in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. where I was living. And then they invited me back the next week. And I did it again and it went well again. Same material? Yeah, pretty much. And I started to get a little, well, I'm going to try another one. Yeah, Yeah, try another. And then this guy said, hey, I got a room down at this bar called Sigmund's Nuthouse. And we do comedy in the upstairs. And I was like, cool, let's do that. And uh, I went and uh, I was so cocky. Like, I was like, oh, I got this thing. I'm so good at it. I thought. Same material again you were going to run though. And uh, not a giggle not a nothing and my mouth went dry and i was just like is this happening and i i don't it's so long ago it's over it's 25 years ago Mm. but i still remember it just being so horrible such a i can probably remember three bombs in my life three or four that felt like death and one that was one one was at the bo- New Faces in Montreal where you're performing for the entire Hollywood industry comes to see the new top comics in the world and at this festival. And, and they sit with notebooks. They have notebooks. Oh. Wait, and it's like ta- talent agents and, it's, and stuff like no, that? No, 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 no. It's, it's uh, the development executives of Universal, NBC. Oh, so you can pitch shows and stuff like that. So that they go, hey, we're going to cast this guy in this sitcom. Hey, we're going to give him a development deal. Hey, we're going to, you know, Saturday Night Live is there. Mad TV is there. Everyone is there. And I bombed so badly that I walked out the door and just walked. I walked through Montreal by myself. (laughs) My agents, managers, no one could find me. I just walked and I just kept walking. I was like Forrest Gump. I was like, I don't know where I'm going to end like up. I might just run to the West Coast. I, don't care. I might go to Nova Scotia, but it was like, I thought I ruined my life. I was like, that was bad. And then one time in England, my first time in England, uh, the comedian introduced me as he's an American and the crowd started booing and I uh, walked out on stage and uh, it just, just got ugly. It just got so, and my when, mouth went dry. When that bomb happens, What's your instinct uh, now, besides fucking run? Like now, now bombs are fun for me. And if I start to bomb, I, in my head go, did, did, did I deserve this bomb? If I do just stick to my act and get out of it. But if the crowd's like, if someone was an asshole in the crowd or in his control, there's people that can control a crowd. There's like within the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And if I feel like they did it, then I'm like, oh, okay, you don't want to have fun? Well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to another world. Like, right. And I'm going to enjoy this. And so then I I'll kind of, in a way, go to war with them. And I've I, seen that happen live, oh, and it was and, wonderful. And I enjoy it. I'm like, you brought this on yourself. I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm pretty good at this situation. Yeah. So I'm going to make you pay now. I think it's important in those situations. I've been at like the comedy store before where someone's up there and 
like we always sit in the front row because it's fun because you get roasted, yeah. right? Yeah. Like so whoever's on stage, they're just going to kind of light up the front row no matter what. Sure. It's just like expected. So it's kind of funny to sit in there and just see how are they going to make fun of me and my buddy and, and everybody. And this one guy was sitting, Ron White did a set that night and Jesus, uh, what's his right. last name? Jesus Trejo did a set that night. And then, um, oh my God, I'm going to butcher his name. Kevin Nealon did a set. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin's great. So it was like a phenomenal night of comedy. And this guy was sitting in the very front row, just like head to toe, suited up to the neck, like perfect. He had his own cufflinks, like personalized cufflinks. I mean, it was so out of place. We're sitting there like this, you know, everyone's just drinking beers. And then there's this guy sitting all by himself, just decked out. It looked like he showed up to the wrong building or something and just missed the memo. And so I forget who was on stage, just fucking laid into this guy. And I was, I was laughing so hard that the little muscles behind your yep. ears in the back yep. of your head just yep. started to tighten. And I was just dying laughing. And I realized in this moment, I'm like, nobody wants the dude to win. No. Everyone wants the comedian to win. And, so, and, unless the comedian was bad. If the comedian was bad, fair. you, you can get on the side of the audience. Uh, right. And I've been there. I've been on, I've, I, in England one time I walked on stage and I, I, I did a lot of time in England and I was on stage one night and uh, some girl like yelled something like next, like put on the next comedian something. And I, and I said something like, you're a whore. Like, it was just like, my comeback was so bad. I just go, you're a whore. And some guy, like huge kind of like British guy, like they always look rough if they're muscular. He stands up and he goes, hey, hey, that's my fucking girlfriend. And I go, oh, so you know she's a whore. And I'm thinking the audience is going to like think I'm picturing the guy from Lock, Stock and Two Smoking yeah, that, Barrels that, at the very what, end. But the, that's what it looked yeah. like. And uh I, had a, I was dating a girl at the time. She went, she was smart enough to go get the car or yeah, immediately. get a taxi and pull it up like to get me out of there because the crowd turned on me. And I remember making a joke. I go, uh, it's a good thing we have bouncers, but I go, <laughs> I have a feeling after this, even the bouncers are going to be beating me up. And the bouncers started laughing. Like, That's good. Like, no, like oh. they were like, yeah, that's what we were thinking. You know, oh, that's like, not good. <laughs> like it was that, that truth laugh, like, yeah. yeah, we want to beat you up too. And I was just like, wow, this, I took this down. Uh, I mean, the more I would think about this now, I said I had four, I probably have 50 like bombs that I could have story. I, I had one with Kevin Nealon. Really? I, opened, I opened for Kevin Nealon at uh, Philadelphia Textiles it's College. And they said, hey, you know, Kevin's looking for a new opener. It was when I was young. And uh, he was not just off Saturday Night Live, but we're talking, you know, 20 some years ago. So I go down and um, they said, Kevin wants someone to work clean. You have to be clean. And I was like, oh, that's not my thing, but I'll do it. And colleges usually liked it back then a little bit dirtier and rougher. So it was a little bit of a challenge. Right. I was like, all right, you know, I'll do, I do 20 minutes clean. Kevin comes in, Kevin goes on. And I, I think Kevin flew down, I heard on a private jet. And he was coming in later than me. So they're like, just go on. We'll give you the sign when Kevin's here. And then you'll go on. And we're in a gymnasium and it's full, full gymnasium. And 
they said, by the way, we're going to let one of our students go on first. One of our students like won a contest and he gets to go on. And I was like, okay, cool. So they're like, why don't you go meet him since he's going to like, he's going to go on, then he's going to bring you on. And then you're going to bring Kevin on. So I go talk to the kid and it's his first time ever doing comedy. And usually people are sweating, their faces flush, they're drinking or doing something, you know, they're, they're in a bad space their first time. So I'm like, I'm going to give the guy a little pep talk, you know, cause this is like thousands of people. And I go over and I'm like, Hey, what's up, dude. And he's like, what's up? And I go, um, you know, we're you, you, you good to go. And he's like, yeah, I go. So how much time are you going to do? And I'm hoping he's only going to do like, they probably, I think they allocated him like five minutes or something. And, uh, or they said, he'll just do like five before you. Yeah. And I'm thinking that five is going to turn into three for him or two, you know, once he starts bombing. So I go, how much time are you doing? And he goes 20 and I go 20 minutes. I go, yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to be 20. I go, you, you, you probably think in your head, it's going to be 20, but it's going to actually shorten up because I've rehearsed it many times in the bathroom. Why gonna, is this guy such a dick? He goes, it's going to be 20. And I was like, Okay. So I've got to work clean. You can't follow dirty with clean. That's why they're making me clean. So, cause Kevin Nealon's clean, really clean. He doesn't want a dirty comic on in front of him. It'll ruin it for him. And you're, you're saying just so I understand, typically it is not good to go dirty comic to clean comic because right. you build the crowd up to like this kind of raw, yeah, vulgar you, or whatever. You, yeah. It's hard to follow dirty with clean. Gotcha. You can follow clean with dirty anytime can't follow dirty with clean. So this kid goes on, he walks on stage. He is the reincarnation of Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> he is up on stage going, but, but not like he doesn't have like the Italian in him. He's yeah. just like this bold, competent frat boy who is bringing up. He's like, where are the Delta Zetas at? And the girls are like, oh, okay. ah, and he's like, dirty fucking whores, <laughs> you know? And like, the crowd starts going crazy. And he's like, where's the Kappa Kappa Gammas? You know, and they're like, woo! And he's killing, killing. Like the crowd is going insane. And I'm backstage and I pull the girls up who are in charge and I go, get him off stage now. And the girls don't understand the dynamic and they go, why he's doing so well. And I'm like, he's, I go, he's ruining the show. And they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to follow him. They're like, wait, cause he's so much better than you. Oh my God. And I'm like, like, no, you don't understand the dynamics. And I'm like, you don't understand what's about to happen. And they're like, what? And you had been at this point, you had been yeah, touring been, for, yeah, I've been doing comedy enough to know that this was just bad. And, uh, and this was my tryout to be Kevin's opener, like to travel with them and right. fly with them everywhere. So I go on, I do my first joke. That's clean. Second joke, clean, no laughter. The crowd's kind of like bring back, you know, like Jocko oh, or whatever. Yeah. And name. they're, they're drunk college kids. Yeah. Too, so they yeah. give two shits about you. And if I could go back and do it over again, I would have stayed clean done my job. Kevin would have found out why I had to take the bomb and he would have respected me for it and wanted to work with me. But me and the massive ego I had, I went, 
I'm not going down. There is no way I'm going down. And I just turned it on and did, took it to another level of dirty and practically got a standing ovation. Uh, I remember when they gave me the sign that Kevin was there, I was like, it was like all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, by the way, you're not, <laughs> you know, like you just, you just ruined the show for Kevin, which I did. I ruined the show. Right. And, uh, you know, Kevin's an incredible comedian, incredible. And, uh, I, they like Kevin's here, you know, like get, they wrap it up. So I do my last joke. I introduce Kevin. I walk off stage. Kevin comes in and he looks at me and he goes, nice crowd. And I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did he know at that point? He, oh, he knew he oh, saw yeah. he, what oh, I was, so he had doing. Flown in. Uh, yeah. He gotcha. would probably watched the last five minutes of my set and was like, Oh my God, I got to follow this shit. Did you and, ever make amends? Yeah, I saw him in a comedy club one night in New York then. <laughs> that was in Philly. And I saw him in New York later and I said, hey, Kevin, I was emceeing a show and he was coming in to do a spot. And I was like, I don't know if you remember me. He's like, oh, I remember. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And I, I explained it to him and he's like, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a tough show. And, uh, and I was like, I'm really, really sorry about that though. And um, he's like, it'll happen to you in your life. And I was like, it was already happening to me. And I was like, he was like, but it wasn't your show. I go, I know. And I did the wrong thing. And uh, so, it was, wow. It was like a legit, like full heartfelt apology. And it, it wasn't completely it, accepted. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, you, you should know better, you right. know, like, and I've had guys do it to me many times in my career. And you just look at the guy, like, what kind of asshole are you? You just, it's my show and you ruined my show. They came here right. for me and you ruined it because your selfishness, because your ego. Yeah. And, uh, and that's fine. And whatever you thought you got out of it, I hope, I hope some good comes of it because you're never working with me again. Like you're, I, why would I ever do anything for you when you just, you know, pulled the rug out from under me. Right. And, uh, and I just, you know, it's like little mental. I usually say to the guy, Hey, good set. And it's just like mental note, never work <laughs> yeah. with that guy again. Yeah. You know, like, why would I want to let that guy sabotage me? So there's guys that are like that, that are out there for that. And I was young and egotistical and I would never do it again. I mean, I know when to like take the hit and take the fall and take the, you know, bite the bullet and let the other guy shine. Were there moments in your career where it was the other way around where you, is this something you did or performance you had did actually give you then better opportunities following it? I was never the type of comic that was a good opener. Um, there's, there's guys that are really good openers mm -hmm. and, and I was, I guess I was just too big of an ego from day one. I thought I'm the star, not, not the guy going after me. And so um, that's not a guy you want. And it's not a good way to be because a lot of times those guys drag you along and make you successful. And I try to do you mean that when you, when you're like the quote respectful opener, right? Right. And they just value and you develop. Them. Right. Yeah. A... Yes. And so I do that with my guys now. Like I always say, say to my opener, my goal is that you won't be opening for me in a year. My goal is that you're going to, you're going to be on my, like my level. I want that. And um, so I'm like, let's do everything it takes to get you there. Um, you know, if it can be me making calls or pushing club right. owners, are you, whatever it is. But when I, I, I have a friend who opens for me or has opened for me and I told him afterwards, I was like, you can't open for me anymore 
He's like, why not? I'm like, you're not an opener. You're a headliner, but you're not ready to headline. And I go, you just have this like headlining mentality and your skills aren't there yet, but your mind is, which you need both. And sometimes guys have the skills, but they don't have the, the mindset to be a headliner. Um, and I said, you've got the mindset. You just need to work on the skills and you're not working under me because you're, you're, you're doing crowd work and d- dirty and trying to blow me off the stage. And, right. and it just messes up my room. Yeah. You know, that's my room, not your room. My opener now is a guy who's really, really funny, incredibly funny, but like knows how to do it. And, but I mean, there's like I, a pecking order, right? Like part of the opener's job is to prep the crowd for what exactly, they're in store exactly. for, right? It's exactly what it is. But, but my opener is, or is so good that I could open for him and set him up and he would just smash after me. That's so good he, chemistry. Yeah. So he is, he is, he can headline. He's really right. funny. He's just, you know, he just needs a little bit of luck. He needs a TV show or something here or a break. He gets a break. He's headlining everywhere around the country, you know, and everybody between like, if, if we look at where your career is right now, what would be like the next step for you? And what's, what is in between where you are right now and getting that next step to happen? I think guys, I think about this a lot. I mean, I'm, um, my daughter's listening to me right now. I'm laughing. Um, Oh, that's funny, Izzy. <laughs> My daughter's way funnier than me. Um, so uh, I'm a club comic pretty much in the United States. In, in Australia, I get to occasionally play a theater or two or three or sometimes festivals. What is the, it's like. Clubs are like 300 theaters. You go 500, 1,000, you know, even up from there. And then uh, it's stadium or what, what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look, I don't dream of, I maybe I occasionally go, Oh, I'd like to be a stadium comic, but I feel like when you're in a stadium, you're not really doing comedy, you're cheerleading. And, and so yeah. I'd always like to be a theater comic. Theaters uh, like Netflix special. Yeah. Hollow, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think of that in my head again, not as a comic, but as a fan, as almost being more respected. Because in a the- in a stadium setting, like people, you can- have so many people to control, yeah. you can't do your bit straight on, right? They're, they're there for the event. No one's yeah, exactly the comedy. I, it, when people go see Kevin Hart or uh, Dave Chappelle or whatever in a stadium, I always tell them, I go, "You should have called me because you probably pe- spent uh, two hundred and fifty dollars for that ticket to like see them from a hundred yards away when you could have called me." And I would have gotten you into the comedy cellar and you'd sit with me and that comic and then watch them from five feet away. Cause they perform there five nights a week, you know, like, and then go out on the weekend to do, you know, this big arena show. So, you know, like we all work together, no matter how big, how little, you know, and, uh, uh, but, my next, I don't like flying around. All, like if you saw my schedule for the next three weeks, it's like plane to plane to plane to plane, you know, car to plane to plane to car to car to plane. And I would like to get a tour bus mm-hmm. and make enough money and bring my crew of guys and uh, tour around the country that it's like I'm selling 500 to 1,000 seats a night. And, uh, and that it's just, we mash it, you know, 40, 50 days in a row together. 
and, or I could take my family with me right. and, you know, I get to see the kids every day and we're in a new city every day and boom, I work for an hour each night, do the show off stage. That, that, that's, that's where I want to go. I always thought it was TV. I don't mind making a TV show. I don't really want to be on a TV show. So if I can sell a show, I'll go there. Right. Uh, which I kind of have, I have a show in development in Australia and I keep trying to sell shows here in America. Uh, I'd love to, I don't want to be a staff writer, but I'd like to show run a show. I'd like to executive produce. The only way that's going to happen is if I create the show. So I, I just don't like having bosses <clears throat> and I don't have enough of one that's standing across from me right now. Um, Who's looking at me probably thinking I've been on here too long. Um, I was just going to say, I want to be respectful of your time because we're coming up on two hours. I yeah. knew that we'd cross over the, the two hour threshold, no matter what, but um, well, I, I can talk paint off a wall, but, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So I'd like to run a show, like sell a show and run it. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to be a writer and I don't want to be an actor um, yeah. because I just don't like sitting around. Well, sometimes that's the biggest thing is knowing what you don't want to do. Well, uh, I mean, Eddie, I do realistically want to be respectful of your time here. So tell everyone, uh, where can they find you? Where can they reach out to you? How can they listen to you? Where can they come and hear your comedy? Sure. We'll sure. Give the plug and we'll do this again, hundred percent. Cause there's more stories to tell and more things to laugh about. Sure. So, I love uh, talking to you. Um, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, I am at Eddie Ift on Instagram on, um, I have a special, a free special that you can watch on YouTube called Sweet Home Malabama. Uh, and it's based on, I live up here in the hills of Malibu called, and we call it Malabama. And uh, it's about my life up here. Uh, that special's free on YouTube. All my other specials are available on eddieift.com. I'm shooting a new one, January 22nd in the Irvine Improv. You're invited. Oh, um, I'm coming to hunt. Wait, uh, January 22nd? 100%, January 22nd. I'm going to go. Two shows. Uh, shooting my special and uh, would love to have you out any of your any of your people let me know I can uh, take care of like VIPs and everything if you want special tickets because I want to pack it with like my people and um, <clears throat> I'd love to have the skiing surfing crowd there uh, yes. so uh, uh, yeah so eddieift.com is pretty much everything and at eddieift on Instagram eddieift uh, on Facebook, Eddie F, Eddie F, Eddie F, and it's E D D I E I F F T. Awesome. Well, Eddie, thanks so much, man. We appreciate your time. It's always fun chatting with you, and we'll do it again soon. We'll yeah. surf and we'll ski this winter. Yeah, I want to surf. I want to ski, except I got the uh, I got the epic pass. I didn't I get got, the icon. What? Oh my god. Okay, this conversation for another time. Well, you're fired. All yeah. right, later, buddy. Later. You've been listening to the Main Idea Podcast. Profiling pros within the health, wellness, and sports industries. It's real and raw discussions about how real people lean on themselves to accomplish great things. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had fun. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Till next time, this is the Main Idea Podcast. Listen. Listen. Learn. Learn. Evolve. Evolve.